Let's go ahead and seek the Lord in prayer and jump into the word today. Father, we glorify you. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, your mercy, your loving kindness. We thank you, Lord, that as your word says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your loving kindness to those who fear you. We thank you, Lord, for your love. We thank you, Lord, for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. We thank you, Lord, that we have victory through you. Pray that you would lift our heavy hearts this morning, that we can look to you and find encouragement and strength and joy in you. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. Your word says we're sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Lord, so would you be with us today? Would you bless this message? Would you strengthen us, unify us as a fellowship, help us to be lights in this dark world, and help us to endure all things through Christ? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Title of today's teaching is Enduring with a Broken Heart. Enduring with a Broken Heart. Uh, Many of you may know, um, and it's going to be tough to teach today, um, because a year ago, it was a year ago today, um, that our brother Nick uh, passed away. And I was going back and forth on how much to bring up and how much to talk about and... um, it's been a tough year. It's been a tough just one day at a time seeking the Lord. And um, for those of you who have lost a loved one, and many of you have perhaps in different time of your life, this one hit hard um, for many of us. Uh, about a, well, over a year ago, I asked Nick to come up here to serve the church because I saw his love for the Lord. I saw his love for the word. I saw his love for people. I saw that he was willing to do whatever the Lord asked of him. Sometimes that meant playing worship. Sometimes that meant setting up chairs, doing sound in the back for the church, handing out tracts. Nick was the kind of guy that I'd go to Bible study and back in Simi Valley and after church he's like, oh hey, I'm like, hey, you want to grab a bite to eat or like, do you want to meet up this week and he goes well actually I'm driving to Mexico right now oh you just decided to drive to Mexico to go spend the weekend with Jonathan Ball and that's he goes do you want to go too and I'm like I'm just finding out about it right now you know I I have a wife kids work things going on I'd love to but that's the kind of person Nick was he would just drop whatever he was doing and be ready to go serve the Lord and so when you're coming up to help serve the church, who are you going to call upon? Someone like that, who you know that if you ask them something, they're going to jump at it. And so we all need that kind of servant's heart. Nick was a servant, and we miss him. And so I've been asking a lot of questions over the past year. Most of these questions begin with the word why. Some of these questions begin with the word how, what, how, Lord, Why did this happen? Why this? Why that? And I've found some solace in the prophet Habakkuk. Listen to what Habakkuk says, or Habakkuk, however you pronounce it. Chapter 1, verse 2, he says, How long, O Lord, will I call for help and you will not hear? He says in verse 3, Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? He says in chapter 1, verse 13, Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than they? Why, Lord, 
How, Lord? Lord, I know you're good. I know you're holy. I know you're pure. And I'm seeing wickedness all around me. I'm seeing the righteous swept away. I'm seeing the righteous suffer. Lord, this doesn't make sense. How, Lord? Why, Lord? 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve which, praise God, Jesse DeStocky memorized all of 1 Corinthians 13. And this was one of the verses that he shared with us on Tuesday night. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, For now we see in a mirror dimly. The word dimly there in the Greek is enigma. It's where we get the word for obscurity, enigma, a riddle. We see in a mirror dimly. We see in a riddle. We see things, it's cloudy right now on this side of eternity. Paul says, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I also have been fully known. One day we're going to know fully. One day we're going to see God face to face. One day we're going to have more insight. We're going to have more knowledge. We're going to have more understanding. We're going we're gonna to get a deeper, more full picture of, of the things in life that we now ask the question, why, how? This doesn't make sense. If you'll turn with me to Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. It's right towards the end of the Old Testament. Find Zechariah. Zephaniah, you hang a left. Chapter 3, verse 17 and following. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet. That's a key word in this passage, yet. Underline that, circle that word, yet I will exult. That means to greatly rejoice. It means to triumph. I triumph in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. This is a song that Habakkuk sings to the Lord, prays to the Lord, as we see in chapter 3, verse 1. It's a prayer to God. He begins with questions and uncertainty, and he ends with the answer. He begins with doubt. He ends with confidence here at the end of this letter. I think it's okay at times to ask questions to God, but we don't stay there. We transition. We move towards rejoicing. We search and we seek and we draw near until we find the joy of the Lord, which is our strength. 2 Corinthians 6.10 says, Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Did Paul have sorrows? Yeah. Look at his life. Look at all the trials, the tribulations, the persecutions, in and out of jail, and just constantly on the run from those who hated him. And he says, I'm sorrowful, yet I'm always rejoicing. Psalm 30, verse 5. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Psalm 126 verse 5 says, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Habakkuk closes with this 
song, this prayer, that all of us Christians find ourselves in one time or another in our walks with the Lord. Barren seasons of hardship, heartache, trials, and tribulations. But we can rejoice because we have hope. We can rejoice because God is our salvation. He's our strength. He lifts up the weary and the brokenhearted. And he loves us. He cares for us. And he's with us in the midst of the pain that we go through in life. Where else would we turn to? Where else would we go when we have pain and sorrow and a broken heart? If you remember John chapter 6, verse 66, we talked about this recently at a men's group. It says, many of the disciples withdrew from following Jesus. His teachings were confusing to them. They didn't understand. He said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood if you want eternal life. You want to have life? I'm the bread that's come down from heaven. Eat of me. He says around four, five, six times, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. They start to snicker. They start to question him. And he says it again to the point where it says in John 6, verse 66, that they withdrew from following him. And then at that point, Jesus looks over at Peter and the other disciples, and he says this, you do not want to go away also, do you? I love Peter's answer. This is the answer that you and I should have when we're doubting, when we have questions, when we're uncertain, when things in life don't make sense, this is what your response should be. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. I don't fully understand. I don't get it. I have lots of questions, Jesus, but you are true. You are real. You have words of eternal life. I'm following you. And that's what the disciples did until the end. How many times were they scratching their heads? How many times did Jesus say, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to suffer many things and I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to rise again. And it says they didn't understand what he was saying. Does that mean they turned their backs on him? Does that mean they threw in the towel and said, okay, we're going to go somewhere else? No, they knew that they knew that they knew that he was the Christ. He was the son of God. And they were trusting him. And it's the same for us today when we don't have all the answers. First Samuel chapter 30. I'm just going to go through a list of some saints in the scripture who went through hardships, went through difficulties, and we're, we're going to see what they did. First Samuel chapter 30, David and his men came to Ziklag. They saw that the Amalekites had come in burned the city to the ground, and they took David's wives, his fellow comrades, their wives, took their children, pillaged, and ran with them. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, it says, Moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. For all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. His men turned on him. They're ready to put him to death. David's like, what do I do? He's greatly distressed. I love what the text goes on to say. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. 
his God. David turned to the Lord. David said, I need strength, God. I need courage. I need direction. I need to know what to do and where to go. And he went to the right place. Verse 18 tells us David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken. When you run up against difficulty, you need to encourage yourself. You need to find refreshment in the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 32. Jeremiah is in prison for preaching the word of God, thrown into jail. They didn't have tablets and internet and weight facilities and outside football and softball games like the, some of the prisoners I've talked to. Here he is thrown in jail. Maybe they get a loaf of bread, you know, something to keep him alive for preaching the truth. Imagine how he felt. So God sends him a glimmer of hope. And he says, Jeremiah, a friend's going to come to you. Go buy a field. So at this time, Jerusalem's being besieged, ransacked, burned to the ground. King Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon are coming in to destroy it. And God says, buy a field. Go ahead and buy a field, Jeremiah, for houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. This is what Jeremiah responds with. It's a prayer and a song to God. Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. I love that prayer. I go back to that one a lot. Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth. Nothing is too difficult for you. What's too difficult for God? What in your life are you going through that God can't handle? That's faith. That's trust from the prison cell. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, they're beaten many times. The text tells us with rods. Paul casts out a demon from this girl and her master's not getting any more money from her. And so he gets the town in uproar and he pulls Paul and Silas in and he gets them beaten many times and thrown into prison. They're beat down, they're beat up, and the text tells us at midnight they pull together. They pray. They sing hymns of praise to God. The prison doors fly open. If you know the story, the jailer goes to kill himself because he knows he's going to be a dead man because his prisoners are being set free on his watch death penalty Paul's able to minister to him we're not going anywhere we're here we know we know that this is a divine opportunity so the gospel goes to him he gets saved his whole household gets saved because Paul and Silas were trusting the Lord in the midst of the pain Psalm 34:18 says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted he saves those who are crushed in spirit Psalm 145, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call call on him, to all who call out to him in truth. How about Hannah? 1 Samuel chapter 1. Hannah, barren, desperately wanting a child. Remember that story? Year after year, the text tells us she goes to the temple of the Lord. Year after year, she's crying out to the Lord. Meet my request, Lord. If that's not a trial in and of itself, her husband Elkanah, his other wife, Panina, 
however you say that name, she's tormenting her. She's provoking her. She's taunting her. Look at my children. Look at what the Lord's blessed me with. You have no children. And taunted her year after year. First Samuel 1.12 tells us that Hannah continued praying. Verse 15 tells us that she went to Eli the priest and said, I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I've poured out my soul before the Lord. He thought she was drunk. She's in the temple praying and she's murmuring and her lips are quivering and he thinks she's a mad, mad woman. She's insane or drunk. She says, no, I'm just, I'm pleading with the Lord. I'm pouring out my soul to God. This wasn't a one-time thing. This was year after year persistence. And what did the Lord do? He opened her womb. He gave the world one of the greatest prophets this world's ever known, Samuel. God heard her. The text tells us that God remembered her. How about Elijah? Elijah, 1 Kings 19. He's on the run from Jezebel. She's chasing him down. She wants to kill him. And in 1 Kings 19, Elijah cries out, God, I'm the only one left. I'm zealous for you, Lord. I want to do your will, but I am the only one left, and she wants to destroy me. What does God do? He sends an angel to minister to Elijah. He brings This angel brings Elijah bread cakes and water, and God tells Elijah in verse 18 of 1 Kings chapter 19, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah, you're not alone. You might feel alone, you might feel deserted, but I'm with you and you have others that have not bowed the knee to Baal. How about Nehemiah? Nehemiah chapter 1. The Jewish people are in great distress. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are burned with fire. Listen to what Nehemiah says in verse 4, chapter 1. He says, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days. I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. He continued to cry out to God. He was looking for an answer. He was a cupbearer to the king. He's the one that tasted the wine before the king did. If someone poisoned that cup, he'd be the one to go, not the king. That was his job. God used this cupbearer to reestablish the law in Jerusalem, to reestablish the wall, to rebuild the wall, to reestablish honor and glory to God in Jerusalem. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. If you're brokenhearted, if you're crushed in spirit, you are a prime, you are in a prime position for God to minister to you and for God to greatly use you in the life, in the lives of others. Isaiah 66, 2 says, This is the one to whom I look. He who is humble. He who is contrite or crushed in spirit. He who trembles at my word. That's the person God looks to. That's the person who's got God's favor on his or her life. The one who's humble in spirit, crushed at times in spirit, clinging to God 
wanting more of him in their life in their life to serve him that's when god shows up every single person i've mentioned they have many things in common but one thing specifically i want to talk about for the rest of the time that i have and that's this one word endurance through the doubts through the questions through the confusion through the trials, through the pain, they all endured. They all found strength in the Lord. Endurance. The Greek word in the New Testament for endurance is hupomone or hupomenai. It's hup, hupo means under, meno means to remain. Hupomeno, to remain under to remain under the challenges of life, to remain under the trials, the tribulations, the hardships, the struggles, to be steadfast and to patiently wait upon the Lord and look to him and trust him no matter what you're going through. That's what it means to endure. For an athlete, that means to keep pushing forward in the midst of pain and suffering. And I love the illustrations of athleticism to Christianity as I use it often like someone in a marathon race who's on mile 10 and they have 16 or whatever miles to go they're getting a charlie horse they're tightening up they want that gold medal they want to win the race they keep pushing forward one step at a time moving forward and when they cross that finish line if they do they're rejoicing they're thankful they didn't quit back at mile 10 they're thankful they pushed through there's actually something called the runner's high where endorphins and hormones are released in your body to where once you push through that pain you get this like resurgence of energy almost like a joy if you will a lot of similarities with that in the christian walk with the lord you want to look back at the end of your life and say i'm thankful i didn't quit at age 20 or at age 30 or, or when that happened back there, I'm thankful that the Lord sustained me and that he kept me and that I'm about to finish this race strong. No Christian gets to heaven without endurance because a faith that saves is a faith that endures. And Jesus talked about it's those who endure to the end who will be saved. It's the whole book of Hebrews. Hebrews 10.36 says this, you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may, received, you may receive what was promised. You need endurance. They're being persecuted. They're tempted to go back to the law. They're tempted to forsake Christ. They're tempted to throw it away. They're tempted to drop out of the race. And the writer to the Hebrews is pleading with them, endure, stay strong, persevere. And he's giving them example after example after example of those who did stay strong, those who did endure, those who are now in heaven. It's these great cloud of witnesses. So if you've ever played sports, you typically have someone you look up to, someone that was really good, someone that persevered, and you try to be like them. And that's how it is as a Christian. You look to the saints of old, which culminate in Christ, and you say, I want to be like that. 
We all need endurance. We all need help. We can't do this race alone. We can't do it in our own strength. We need God's grace every day. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is sufficient for today. How often are we thinking about his grace for tomorrow? How am I going to pay the bills tomorrow? How am I going to do this or that tomorrow? And we get all anxious about tomorrow, and it's always about in the scripture today. His grace is sufficient for today. Do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We want to stay in the moment. When we're on mile 10, we don't need to be thinking about mile 26. Just think about mile 10. Think about the next step. And then the next step, and before you know it, you'll be at the end of the race. So the trials of life, in whatever form they take, and they can take on many forms in a believer's life. Many times the trials in the scripture are persecution. It's persecution to the churches. And so the apostles and prophets, they're they're writing letters, Paul and Peter and so forth, James, they're writing these letters to the churches because they're being persecuted. Don't deny the faith. Stay strong. Endure. And for us in America, it takes on different forms. All those who live godly lives will suffer persecution. You could be harassed by the demonic realm all day long, and it can be very similar to physical persecution, just as Paul experienced. Maybe it's losing a friend. Maybe it's losing a brother like we have. Maybe it's losing a job. Maybe it's just temptation after temptation that you're trying not to give in and you're trying to fight by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit and it's just wearing you out. Life struggles, family struggles, job struggles. And at the end of the day, it's proving our faith. It's showing whether or not our faith is true, whether it's real. When you heat up gold, when you heat up real gold, it gets brighter. When you heat up fool's gold, it gets darker. It turns black. It gets discolored. So you can tell the phony from the real. And my brother, he actually bought me a little gold, I don't even know what you call it, dig for gold. He heard me preach about I don't know, maybe a year ago, and I said there was a guy at work who goes gold panning up here in the hills or mountains in Idaho and how I really want to do that, and so he remembered that message, and so he bought me this little gold panning kit, and we never got to use it when he was out here recently, but someday. God's showing the world, God's showing the angels, God's showing the demonic realm when he puts us through tests and trials and hardships and we come out with our faith, pure as gold, he's saying, that's my child. They fear me. They love me. Look at what has gone on in their life. They don't love me because of possessions or because of wealth or or because of this or that. This shows that they truly love me. We see that in the book of Job. Job lost everything, right? Lost his family, lost his wealth, lost all his animals, lost his servants. And Satan said, oh, he he just fears you because he has all that stuff. Take all that stuff from him. He's not going to fear you anymore. He won't really love you. That was the test. Job chapter 2, verse 9. His wife then tested him. Do you still hold on to your integrity? Curse God and die. 
Don't take that advice. Wives typically have good advice. She was a pawn of Satan there. Imagine the oppression, the brokenheartedness that Job felt in that moment. And so for the next 40 so and so chapters, he is battling with the Lord. I don't understand this, Lord. Lord, I'm, I'm blameless. Lord, I, I haven't done anything wrong that I can think of. I've offered animals to you, Lord, when I, I felt like maybe I messed up. But as far as I can tell, Lord, I'm pure before you. This doesn't make sense. And then on top of that, then he has these three friends who are just beating him down. Oh, you, you must deserve this. You must have done something because God doesn't just bring these kind of things upon people that are holy, people that are truly following him. So what is it, Job? What did you do? Did Job have questions? Did Job have doubts? Was Job confused and frustrated and even discouraged and help, helpless at times? But listen to what he says in Job thirteen fifteen. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. In the midst of the fog and the chaos and the cloudiness in his mind and all the confusion, he went back to the Lord and said, okay, I'm trusting in you. He was vindicated in the end. And listen to what James 5.11 says. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the hupomone. You've heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Scripture says these things were written as an example for us. God's given us Job. He's given us these Old Testament saints. He's given us all the trials, the tribulations, and the things that they've gone through to show us what it means to endure. I want to turn our attention with the time remaining to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I've mentioned Old Testament saints, New Testament saints who found strength in the Lord. Habakkuk, Peter, David, Jeremiah, Paul, Hannah, Elijah, Job, Nehemiah. If I had time, we could walk through Hebrews chapter 11 and we could look at the life of Noah. We could look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. We could look at Joseph and Moses and we can look at many others and look at the persecutions and the trials and the hardships and all that they endured. Often, Hebrews chapter 11 is called the Faith Hall of Fame. Perhaps you've heard that. Have you ever heard it called the Endurance Hall of Fame? I haven't either, but I think you could call it that because if you look at all of their lives, what accompanied their faith was their endurance. And that's a big part of the writer to the Hebrews, the point that he's trying to get across. Look, they endured. You do the same. And he culminates all of this in what I call the Mount Everest, the pinnacle, the peak, the climax, if you will, in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with hupomone, endurance, the race that is set before us, 
fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Three verses, three times we see that word, endurance. He endured. So the writer to the Hebrews is saying, run in the same way. Endure in the same way. He's the author and the perfecter of faith. He cried out to his father in that garden of Gethsemane. He trusted in the Lord and said, Lord, your will be done. Sweating as if it were drops of blood pouring out of him. The pain was incomprehensible, incomparable. And yet he went forward. And the writer to the Hebrews goes on to say in verse 4, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. Jesus was bleeding before he even got on the cross. So whatever you're going through pales in comparison to what he went through. That doesn't mean you're not going through a lot. That doesn't mean that it's not overbearing and just so oppressive and so painful at times. But look to the one who endured more than you could ever endure and more than you could ever comprehend. Keep your eyes fixed on him. Did you know that out of the 1% of the U.S. population that serves in the military, about 70% of them come from families of people who have served? It's as high as 82% in the Navy. 82% of Navy recruits have had a family member serve in the U.S. military. There's a tradition there's an honor, there's a loyalty, there's a, I want to follow in grandpa's footsteps, in my dad's footsteps, in my aunt's footsteps, whatever it may be, there, there's this camaraderie and loyalty there. And in Christianity, there should be this loyalty and honor there as well to say, look at the saints of old, look at Jesus, and I want to follow in the same footsteps as them. Now, in the book of Hebrews, Jesus is referred to as God. He's referred to as our great high priest. He's referred to as the great shepherd. He's referred to as our salvation. Yet in Hebrews chapter 2, we're called his brothers because he took on flesh and blood like us. He didn't die for the angels. He died for us. He took on flesh and blood like us. And so we're his brethren we're his brothers and sisters and it could be said he's our elder brother yes he's our god yes he's our great high priest our shepherd our salvation and in another sense he's our brother he's one of our own he's part of our family he's the firstborn romans eight twenty nine, amongst many brethren he took the lead he paved the way he fought the good fight he finished the course he kept his trust in his Father. We need to follow his example. Some time ago, I ordered an Ancestry.com kit. I said, I want to know my family lineage. I want to know if I'm really Italian or if my mom just lied to me my whole life. What am I? It was 
a identity crisis of sorts, though that's much too strong of a word. My whole life, I was trying to become a professional athlete. From the time I was little, I thought, I'm going to be a professional football player or a basketball player. And those two things quickly dwindled, and I realized I wasn't good enough in either of those. But then I played four years of college baseball. And then I signed these draft papers with the Chicago White Sox, which basically they just wanted to know my height and weight and my hobbies. But I thought maybe they're going to draft me. And come draft day, I didn't get drafted. And so I started working at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I started washing cars with a suit and tie, making $11 an hour, working 60 hours a week. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And I said, you know what? I want to be a fireman. That's what I'm going to do. My uncle's a fireman. This, I know it's hard, but I'll pass a couple tests and he'll hire me and I'll be a fireman. This will be great. Well, five, six, seven years later, however long it was after test after test in EMT school and fire academy and working 48-hour shifts on an ambulance and half the time not getting the paycheck that I wanted and getting shorted many times, finally said, Lord, what do you want for me? Didn't make it as a professional athlete. This firefighting thing, Lord, if you want me to do this for five or ten more years, I'll do it. Just show me. I know it's going to be hard, but I'll persist. I'll do it. And he opened up the door for me to serve at the church. And so I'm going, Lord, is this what you want for me? My dad did construction and was a custodian. My grandpa did construction. My uncle did construction. And if I looked in my family lineage, I was hoping maybe there's like a famous king or maybe there's some sort of athlete or maybe there's something that can show me what's in my lineage here. Or maybe I just see a bunch of construction workers. Maybe they built the palace for the king 500 years ago. I don't know. But after a certain point of digging online, I just said enough with Ancestry.com. I didn't really get many answers, and I threw the kid away that's supposed to tell you your nationality or whatever. And you know what I felt like the Lord was telling me? This is your ancestry. This is your lineage. The saints of old, Jesus, your elder brother who has gone before you, that's your true ancestry. That's your true family. Remember when Jesus' mother and his brothers and sisters were trying to make the way into the home where he was? And someone said, hey, your family's outside. They're trying to make your way in. He says, who are my mother? Who's my brother? Who's my sister? But those who hear the word of God and do it, those who do the will of God, that's my family. So that's our lineage. You need to remember that your elder brother conquered the world. Your elder brother was faithful until the end. He endured the cross, despised the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He upholds all things by the power of his word. He's the appointed heir of all things. Everything is his. He inherits everything. And we inherit everything in him. It says in the book of Hebrews that he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. And because he was tempted and because he went through all the struggles he went through, he's able to give help to us in a time of need. He's able to sympathize with us. Because when you're hurting and when you're struggling, he went through the same thing to a greater extent. So you're not alone. Sometimes we get the Elijah complex. I'm the only one going through this. 
I'm the only one that feels this way. No one's ever felt a depression like this. No one else has ever lost a loved one like I have. No one feels this pain. Jesus did. He knows. He knows. So we have a new family. We have a new lineage of overcomers. We're children of God if we trust in Jesus Christ. We've been adopted. Our elder brothers led the way, paved the course, finished the race. He's calling us to stay strong, to rejoice. And what I love about Jesus is when the world was coming after him and Satan and death, he stared them all in the face. He said, it is finished. To tell us die, paid in full, signed, sealed, and delivered victory. He was victorious. He triumphed, says in Colossians chapter 2, over the demonic realm. He triumphed, victory. Death has been swallowed up. The world has been conquered. Satan has been defeated. Sin has been obliterated, and its power has been brought to nothing because of Jesus. If that's not good news, I don't know what is. So he knows our pain, betrayed, the Garden of Gethsemane, the whole demonic cohort tempting him, the cords that opened his back, the crown of thorns on his head, the spit in his face, the pain of the cross, the ridicule, the mocking. If you're really the son of God, come down from that cross. The unbearable weight of sin, the wrath of God upon him. If anyone knows pain, if anyone knows what it means to struggle, Jesus knows. He knows it all. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in the fire, who's in that fire with them? When you're in the fire, who's in the fire with you? The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. He's there sympathizing with you. He's there to help you. And he's gone before you. So I, let me close here. I want to close with an important question. There's actually two. It goes like this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? Shall distress? How about persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We're like sheep being led to the slaughter. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. That word there for overwhelmingly conquer is hupernikao. Nikao is where you get the name Nick. It means victory, to overcome. The only time this phrase is used in the New Testament is right here, and it's hupernikao. It means above and beyond overwhelmingly to overwhelmingly have victory, to overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. If Jesus conquered the world, what can we not conquer in our lives through him? And so Paul is saying, I'm convinced 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you're in Christ, nothing can separate you from his love. The world may try. The world may persecute you. Satan might beg God like he did with Job. Let me just destroy him. Let me take everything away from him. He'll curse you. And we can look at Jesus. We can fix our eyes on him and say, I'm secure. And he's here to help me. And he will see that I finish strong. So I honor my brother Nick today by honoring and giving glory and praise to Jesus Christ. Because we have victory through his cross. We have joy through his death, burial, and resurrection. We have salvation. Our names are written in heaven. We're seated in heavenly places with Christ. An eye has not seen, an ear has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man. What God has prepared for those who love him. Keep your eyes on Jesus until the end. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for sustaining us. Thank you for joy in the Lord, which is our strength. Thank you for Habakkuk who said, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. When we go through the barren seasons of life, when the pain hits us deep, Lord, may we trust in you. May we look to you. May we find our hope and joy in you at all times. In Jesus' name, amen.